Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? I'm your host, Sky Guasco, joined always by my man, Lucas Kaser, and you are tuned into the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Candlestick Kids. Leave a rate and review anywhere you're listening to your podcast. And follow us on IG at FantasyFootball underscore TCK Pod and on Twitter at TCK underscore Pod. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. There you go. <laughs> and we're back. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. A quick commercial break there to start. Not sure what happened. It was on mute there. We'll start over. We're going to rewind it. All right, Joe, welcome into episode 250 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, a.k.a. TCK Pod. We are live on Twitch right now, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. If you're listening on the podcast or YouTube, come and check us out Monday through Thursday, 6 to 7 Eastern Time. We are live on Twitch with the TCK Pod. We always have my man Lucas Kaser. Had a day off yesterday, but he is back in the flesh, and it is Wednesday. You know what that means. We have our boys the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast coming in. Chris rolling solo this time. We had Alex on last time. We'll get Eric and the rest of the crew in. Event, how you feeling, man? How's your week so far? And you ready for another Wednesday with us? Dude, I'm doing well. Yeah, it's the highlight of my week right here. Love talking fantasy, so let's get into it. Excellent, man. I love that. Lucas, how you feeling, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk about why the Cowboys still are not a good football team. Uh, whether, no matter what anybody says, I guess. You watch your mouth. Oh, good, good hard, fantasy. Hard stance. Done. Hard stance. I like to see that. Fair enough. I like it. Kind of like the Jags. But anyway, we'll get into that. All right, y'all. We're breaking down the NFC East today. And as we've done the rest of the week and last week, breaking down each team's preview, we're doing the NFC East. So we are talking about the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington franchise, Philadelphia Eagles and the New York football, New Jersey Giants. Very excited to talk about this division because I think it's one of the most competitive divisions overall, although the Washington squad is quite a joke. Um, I think on the human element, I think they're going to have a lot of fun in fantasy. Cowboys, of course, are locked and loaded. The Eagles are locked and loaded, and the Giants have a lot of sneaky talent as well. So I definitely am excited to break this down here. Once again, episode 250 of the TCK pod. Make sure to go check out our brothers over at the Commish FFP as well. We'll let him introduce himself at the break here in just a little bit. Let's dive right into it, guys. We got a lot to cover and not a lot of time. So we'll jump right into it. Let's start at the top here with the fireworks. And Lucas, maybe I'll have you start off with this one, man. Um, Dallas Cowboys somehow last year finished behind the Eagles 8-8 eight and eight once again. It's kind of a running joke that the you know the Cowboys are going to end 500, but then they actually end up 500, which is yeah, silly. Like I think they're I think they're insanely more talented than the Eagles. <laughs> I think they're insanely more talented than the Eagles personally, but they finished behind them last year. Didn't have any significant injuries uh, than I know of, but they were behind them just one spot. The Eagles end up taking the division. Big bounce back year. Of course, Dak had his contract talks. Zeke still in the mix. And CeeDee Lamb, the rookie, they have Blake Jarwin getting his chance this year. Of course, they still have Gallup and Amari Cooper. Tony Pollard, a great backup, and they have somewhat of a decent defense here, except, you know, but they are having a couple injuries up late. So let's kick it off right off the top, man. How do you feel about the Dallas Cowboys? I know you're not crazy about them as an NFL team. Let's maybe skip on that and let's get right into the fantasy gold nuggets. How do you feel about Dak and the boys? Yeah, I mean, I think 
as much crap as I guess I give the Cowboys. The the fantasy they're probably I think one of if you had to rank fantasy offenses or draft fantasy offenses, I think they're just as equal as the Chiefs. I think they definitely have as much potential, if not more potential, than the Chiefs. Uh Dak is my QB three in the tier one with Mahomes and Lamar. He proved it last year, so why not keep him there? Um, so I'm not really worried about him. They're going to have a lot of passing attempts. They did last year. The defense got worse, so it should mean more and more than not. Uh, Kellen Moore's still there. I think that was the big thing, that McCarthy's not going to be – I don't know if McCarthy's a bad play caller, but Kellen Moore showed us last year that he was worth the number two fantasy quarterback, so that's kind of repeating there. The running backs, I mean, I know we, we had a debate on – if Saquon is worthy of the running back two, and I know I moved Zeke to two and you moved Kamara to two in PPR, probably both, I guess, in general. But he, people don't like him because his ceiling isn't high. But I think that's them just trying to find a way to put him at four without realizing his floor is just as, if not better than CMC's, most likely on a really career basis. So nothing really there. And then Pollard's the, the zero RB or handcuff elite uh, prospect if you will always um the receivers though i think is where where i think people might draw the line uh i mean i usually like to come out of my every one of my drafts with one cowboy player uh no matter who that is is because the like i said it's a fantasy gold mine i know we're big michael gallup fans uh, i'm growing on amari cooper a little bit just because i think what you are getting uh, out of him in the games he does play is is elite fantasy wide receiver one production obviously if there's the injury concerns but still I think um he's definitely worth it but then past that is where I think people are over exaggerating uh the Cowboys a little bit so there was a debate on Twitter about Blake Jarwin and CD Lamb and how they can all be really really great fantasy products right and I made the case that I don't remember me starting Jason Witten or Randall Cobb one time last year and I basically uh, took Mike McCarthy. I know he's obviously he's not calling plays, but still, like he's the one coaching this team, so he still will have final decision on most things. And took his average plus or minus plays per game, which, as you can see, was you're losing over a 16 game stretch compared to the Cowboys last year, 84 plays. So that means you're taking away 84 plays from the Cowboys team last year. That obviously has to count for something that you're the, the average of McCarthy losing plays. Average with Dak on the Cowboys, though over that same stretch, you're doing 43.2. So that's a little bit less, if that makes sense. So then I took each uh, receiving weapon, the receivers and Jason Witten last year, and took their PPR per play run to show how efficient they were on a point uh, a play basis. So then you take away what they'd be losing if you lost plays, and it showed the, the rank differential. So basically just look at the far right, and it just shows that Cooper, Gallup, Cobb, and Witten, the rank differential, if they stay true to McCarthy's plays per game run, is not what we think it is. And I could break down the whole market share thing that we do with the Raiders every time as to why not everyone can be good at fantasy. And it holds true for Jar- I know we like Jarwin, but I think his ceiling is capped right around. I think at max, he's the tight end 10. I can't see a way that he would go higher than that, being the fourth, fifth, sixth option on this team. And then Lamb, yeah, he might get 700 yards, but like you're not playing 700 yards in fantasy every week. You don't want that. So I think... It really is just top-heavy, but that top-heavy is so good that I think it's definitely worth coming out of every draft with at least one of these players. Chris, where do you have Ezekiel Elliott right now? <clears throat> so the commission crew has him at an ECR 
at specifically the three spot. I also have him at three spot overall personally, but Zeke is my Zeke is my my dark horse RB potential overall RB one this season for for a number of reasons. So I, I know Sky, we had the fade episode and you were skate, uh, fading. Zeke for a number of reasons, which I can agree with, and I don't even disagree with any of the takes you had. But I do think that to Lucas's point on the Blake Jarwin scenario, so we did a whole episode where Josh McDonough on our side on the commission crew broke down the tight end target ratio and how that correlates directly to running back ratios. And basically what we found out is that for every seven targets to tight ends equals on average on a team one running back target and so when you take the 83 targets that were once with Jason Witten I just don't see I just don't see Blake Jarwin having that much share in the passing game he'll be like the fourth option or fifth option and so I do think that those targets will end up in Zeke's hands so you're going to look at like another additional potential 10 targets going Zeke's way over the course of the season so to Lucas's point as far as Zeke goes he's going to get more passing volume um uh, you know, reports out of camp are basically already suggesting that he's getting a ton of passing work. I mean, just in the scrimmages that they're having in full pads, like he scored like, I don't know, three or four touchdowns already um, just this week. So again, this is just, this is just camp, but I mean, they're starting to ramp up full speed drills at this point, And Zeke seems like a monster this season. He's been a candidate RB one every season, just hasn't done it. I think this year he actually goes ahead and pulls it off. Um, I am fading Saquon the more I sort of look into the offensive situation with the Giants mm-hmm. in their offensive line. So I'm kind of getting nervous about that. You got to keep CMC at one. So I'm comfortable with moving Zeke into my top two um, the more this season goes on. But for now, he's still he's still our RB3. So, you got, so both of you, I think, have Zeke at two hypothetically then. Yeah, if you held the gun to my head right now, yeah. I mean, it. I guess like the, it makes sense, like the why we're doing it. But the more I like actually think about these splits with the Giants players, which we can bring. I mean, it's we'll talk about them more. But like the splits against good defenses are horrendous. And I know, like you'd be like, okay, what's well, Saquon? Like, there's definitely that factor of like he will finish top five if he plays 16 games. But it's like. I don't, yeah. I don't have the splits, but it's so bad that you, that's not your number two pick. And we've been getting a lot of questions in our Discord asking how do you approach that do you diversify it and go one league say you have three leagues with pick two you go one of each Kamara Zeke and Barkley and most people are saying yes but I guess I'm just standing pat on why not just take Zeke's floor every single time or if you like Kamara's floor which I think realistically is probably just as high if he's fully healthy just take that instead because you're not gonna have to mess around with these six point weeks and 35 point weeks from your number two pick yep I agree with that um, the only other thing that I would say, uh, it just sort of transitioning just briefly into the wide receiver situation. Um, actually, let me let me sort of backtrack. Uh, Lucas, I also agree with you on Dak. We do have him as the QB three uh, overall, right behind Lamar Jackson. So we're we're good on that. And actually, I I agreed with all of your takes. As a matter of fact, I have nothing sort of to to push up uh, or push back against or challenge you on. The wide receiver crew is really the trickiest part of the entire wide uh, offense on on the Cowboys. I will say, and Sky, we talked about this, the more and more time goes on and I don't hear an Amari Cooper uh, plantar fasciitis report, like I'm starting to feel better about him overall. So, so like, that's literally what I'm looking for. Like I'm just looking for a plantar fasciitis report and I have not seen any. The last thing I'll say here though, so, okay, so Michael Gallup, I think everyone uh, understands the value late in rounds. 
not that we know exactly how CD Lamb's going to play, but for what it's worth, player profile, who does like the hardcore secondary analytics, they have CD Lamb's player profile best comparison to Jerry Rice. Jeez. I don't know. I don't know what to make out of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he's a beast, but like it is it realistically, like more often than not, it just comes down to the hierarchy of targets. And like it's just it I mean, like, there's no way he can be a good redraft prospect this year, right? Like, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, there, there's been a bunch of debates on, like, if it's him or Rager, and we're all kind of tying this into, like, one team, I guess, with the whole podcast. But people are saying, I can't realistically project Rager for more targets than Lamb. And, like, to me, that is, like, doesn't seem, like, how can you not, right? He's the number one receiver for a team with a bunch of injury-prone receivers compared to the number three receiver, which is actually the number four target with apparently Blake Jarwin's going to have a hundred targets. So he might be the number five target. So I think it's just, it's better if you, I mean, you can make the case that if Cooper does get hurt, then Lamb's going to get seven to eight targets a game. But like, I don't know, there's something about that doesn't really seem like it's worth the pick, but I do see the, the ultimate upside with him. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. Uh, but I do think, I don't know. It just seems like the, the way, even like the reports I've been hearing, Coming from like even Amari Cooper and, and Michael Gallup directly, like I don't know, I guess they're having like these small discussions internally, like how the three of them are all going to have a thousand yard season. So who knows? Maybe maybe Kellen Moore has just like you know uh, has each of them targeted, you know, evenly across different types of play, mm-hmm. you know, different types of plays. It's just it's tricky to it's tricky to to determine it right now because we just don't know how the offense is going to unfold the way it looks with uh, with Kellen Moore. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I've got Dak at number three as well. We've been talking about that. I would, you know, I was saying that if if somehow Lamar's rushing comes back down to earth, or Patrick Mahomes doesn't throw for fifty and five thousand, and they leave a little bit of a gap, and everybody stays healthy for the Cowboys, and Dak is who we think he can be, and he ends up back at his, you know, six to eight rushing touchdowns. If he pulls, like, if he pulls a Russell Wilson through the air. And Josh Allen on the ground, which I think he can do, he could be the number one overall quarterback. And right now mm-hmm. he's, you know, the first two guys go in the first three rounds. Dak goes probably next, or it's Kyler, depending on how the league falls generally. Uh, but that's, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, depending on quarterbacks go. If you've already got a couple of running backs and receivers or Kelsey or Kittle or whatever, you're just looking for that high upside quarterback. Dak's my man for sure. After that is Russell Wilson, then Kyler and Watson. But Dak is kind of in its own tier behind. Um, Lamar Mahomes and then ahead of the other three though in my opinion Zeke I've been over Zeke a number of times Chris I was on your podcast uh, a while back and you know I did fade him and I guess it did end up being kind of a me spending 10 minutes knocking Zeke Elliott but it wasn't like I hate the player obviously I don't dude's a beast it was more just like if there's somebody in the top five those big running backs right CMC Saquon Kamara Zeke Dalvin Cook assuming he's fine uh, and I guess Derrick Henry but not so much a full PPR um, if there's somebody in there that I'm concerned about and we take injury risk out because everybody's ultimately got that at some level, it was Zeke for me. I know the floor is there, but he's not like a weak league winning upside where the rest of the guys I think could. And even more so, I would fade Saquon as well. So I take Kamara number two there. Uh, as the receivers go, I mean, again, Michael Gallup, dog, I think Amari Cooper leaves mid season or next season. Regardless, Michael Gallup's that guy. CeeDee Lamb is that guy. He's the truth coming in they kind of shocked the world drafting him in front of the eagles as the eagles drafted dallas goddard in front of the cowboys a couple years ago so it's kind of a a trade there which is a big move but there's 124 targets there for blake jarwin he only had 40 last year i mean he has 
exceptional upside to take another chunk of those targets. Jason Witten, who can't move almost 40 years old, was tight end 11. Blake Jarwin could accidentally be a tight end eight, and he's not even getting drafted. So I like my guy there late in drafts. All right, that's a lot about the Cowboys. Let's move on to the Giants and kind of a similar storyline, if you will, from the Cowboys and the Giants. I feel like just, you know, if you go apples to apples, I think the Giants are like a bruised version of what the Cowboys apple would be. They have, I think, a high upside quarterback with rushing ability, but Lucas and I have been very prominent about his schedule and all these other things. A little bit scared about drafting Daniel Jones overall. Saquon Barkley is every bit of uh, uh, Zeke Elliott and then some in fantasy, in my opinion, out of the pass game. But Lucas will go into, I'm sure, uh, the the matchups there. The receiving core, ton of weapons, ton of names, a lot of talent there. But again, who's going to actually stand out there? And is there any real true one? And then finally, Evan Ingram, who I think most people would agree that he's a top five talent at tight end overall. but can we, you know, we can't guarantee that he's going to be healthy. A. And the more and more we start digging into Evan Ingram in his great rookie season, you start looking around the rest of the team that year, and there was nobody available the rest of the season, which is a big issue, right? He he took advantage of his opportunity, which you have to do, and he did well. But now that hypothetically everybody's back, plus Saquon Barkley, um, I'm a little bit concerned there in general that he's going to be that bona fide top six tight end that we draft him as. So, Chris, we'll start with you on this one. Let's start with the yep. Daniel Jones up at the top and then run through Saquon and then give me the receivers and Evan Ingram as well. Yeah, sure. No, I, it's a great setup because, um, yeah, I, when I see this team, I just I just see question marks across the board, and that includes – I know it's crazy to say it, – it includes Saquon. Uh, and it's primarily – the whole thing starts with their offensive line, right? So right now, to me, their offensive line is a massive concern, borderline like an absolute liability on the team. Depending on where you look, they're somewhere ranked in like the lower half of the league. Uh, I looked on fantasyfootballguys.com. They actually have them second to last uh, in in uh, in terms of offensive line rankings. So they have two new starters that are coming in. Um, their first round rookie, Andrew Thomas, who's an absolute stud, but he's taking the place of Nate Solder, who uh, arguably kind of had his worst season last year, but he's opting out for the whole season. So you're basically taking an all-pro talent and in replacing that person with a rookie uh, tackle. So unfortunately, I, it's just very tricky to say whether or not that offensive line gets better. Why is all that matter? Well, that's basically the pillar of their offense, right? So if Daniel Jones, I put a question mark next to him. I think we have him as a sort of high-end QB2 going into the season. I think that's best case scenario for him. He really needs to prove in a couple of areas. Obviously, I think he lost uh, 11 fumbles and had like 18 uh, fumbles altogether. Like the led worst, the league. worst by far. Yeah, yeah led the league by, by far. far. Yep, exactly. Massive turnover problem. Reports are is that he gained some weight, uh, and he's been look, he's been spending his offseason um, working on ball control, which is obviously a good sign. I mean, it's you know this is the worst part of your game last year, so it's good that you're doing that. But you still got to put it in in and play it in a game. So unfortunately, I just don't know that that's something that we can rely on until we see it. The other thing though too is that like his yards per pass attempt were six point six last season. So obviously that has a lot of uh, a lot to do with like dump offs to Saquon. But like they weren't necessarily airing the ball out like you'd see like a, a high powered offense do like a Dallas, for example. So like that's where like those comparisons come in where I'm not quite sure where Daniel Jones improves, um, if if at all. Right. So Saquon is obviously Saquon. He's a man amongst men. Like we don't really got to talk about his upside there. He's a top five running back. 
um, and going number two overall in most leagues just based on pure talent. So I'm going to skip him. I'm going to go right into their wide receivers. Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate are like they're kind of all the same type of player in that like the way that the the way that they pass the ball and share distribution goes to all of them equally. So like their target share last year was nearly the same, and so there's no clear cut alpha wide receiver. Although it should be Darius Slayton, it was still not sure because like. Julian Edelman is like the clear cut alpha receiver on the Patriots and he's more like a Sterling Shepard Golden Tate. So it's not clear as to like what person is going to end up with like the workload and their go-to guy in tight situations and big moments. I made the case that Sterling Shepard is a steal just because like when he was playing, he was a wide receiver, overall wide receiver 20 in the games that he played, but then he went out with two concussions. And so like, that's, that's a risk. Golden Tate is just an older version of Sterling Shepard. So who knows what happens there? He's just a bit older. And then at the end, you got Darius Slayton, who was sort of their breakout rookie. I think he finished like wide receiver 33 last year. Um, and so has that sort of rookie upside going into his second season. And then finally, yeah, I mean, the Evan Ingram situation, you kind of nailed it, Sky. I mean, like, look, as far as I'm concerned, he's like the most talented tight end in the league. Just hasn't put it together. The reports are is that he's not even going to be ready for week one. He's questionable for week one. And so like, that's a major concern off the rip. Like he did have the Liz Frank surgery and uh, Dr. Edwin Porras on our pod went through uh, Evan Ingram's scenario. And he's just not very optimistic about what he has going on, at least going into the 2020 year. So it's one of those scenarios where Evan Ingram should be a locked and loaded tight end five tops. But um, you know, he's one of those guys that you, you got to really take the, the injury concern with, not not with a grain of salt. It's like legitimate concern there. So question marks across the board. Now, before I let Lucas go in here on the Giants, and uh, I know that you did a lot of work on the draft guide, so I will preface this because um, I know you like to, to stay stay humble. Lucas has done an incredible job breaking down all the matchups and the splits for each receiver and receiving what option in the Giants pass game. In our draft guide, still available, 5 bucks. tckpod.com. Go cop yourself a copy if you'd like to. Before you get into this, Lucas, I want to make one more mention. The um, positive in Evan Ingram for me is I'm not drafting him top eight rounds or whatever. There's just other guys with upside, the guys with floors, whatever. Meh, I should say like not many tight ends have his upside. I, that's incorrect. But the floor and the stability, I think, is another conversation. That being said, Jason Garrett coming over from the longtime Cowboys, he was able to have Jason Witten, again, be a top 12 tight end his entire time he was there while he was healthy. So they're going to focus on the tight end a little bit more. I do like that for Evan Ingram. And Evan Ingram is the type of guy we saw flashes from Noah Fant. We saw flashes from John o. Smith last year. We saw a little bit of George Kittle before he was George Kittle. Some of these guys are hybrid receivers, right? And Evan Ingram is one of those guys he could make a lot of damage happen with 45, 50 receptions where a guy like Jason Witten needs 80 plus to put in the same numbers. So I don't think Evan Ingram needs a lot of work to, to give you fantasy value. He needs to stay healthy, score a few touchdowns, and your point, there's just so many other mouths to feed there. So just want to put a little bit of positive spin, I guess, because – Jason Garrett has been known to really hyper-focus on the tight end uh, with all those weapons in Dallas with Jason Witten. And obviously, Evan Ingram is far superior talent-wise to Jason Witten. So I just want to throw that in the mix. Lucas, give me your take on the Giants. Yeah, so Daniel Jones, I mean, we mentioned this is kind of uh, 
I think a question mark is good. Um, so on the screen, if you're watching, um, it is his point per game production just on a, a graph from last year. And as you can see, there's four games. The only four games he finishes a weekly QB1 were all 33 or more points. And if you notice all the other games, they were all against good defenses with the exception of like two of the games. I don't have the exact split, but basically what this means is like he is so, I think volatile is probably the word, but that's manipulable to how you can play him. But that's not something you want to be drafting right away. When we mentioned their first four games, I'm pretty sure off the rip are the Steelers, the Niners, I think the Eagles, at least three of them. So basically he has, I think he has the easiest second half strength to schedule. So like an early tip, which I get is very like subjective to your league is like trade for him after those four to five games, because no one's going to like when he puts up six points in the first three games and he might even be on your waivers. It's just not like, I would be a little more optimistic if this O-line got better, but like realistically they added Andrew Thomas, which was like expected. So that goes into how we're ranking Daniel Jones. But besides that, like nothing changed. I lost Nate Solder. And I guess, I mean, like everyone thinks he's bad or whatever, but like, the player behind him is worse than him. That's not going to start for him. So yeah. it's like a, it's 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 a net negative for that yeah. offensive line. So Lucas, yeah, I'll, I'll also add just just to the point on the volatility situation. I looked it up uh, while you were talking on Player Profiler. They have the, uh, the the weekly volatility score for all their players. So Daniel Jones' weekly volatility score is eleven point one. They consider any player that's over ten considered very volatile. He's number two in terms of volatility in mm-hmm. terms of quarterbacks for the league. Yeah, and like that's that can be, it can be a good thing if you use it right. So like if you have a one quarterback league, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you have a one quarterback league, yeah, sure, take him, but don't plan a hundred. Like, don't even. I'd rather you can stream Tannehill and guys like not Tannehill, uh, Fitzpatrick, a guy last year you could put in for thirty points instead of him, and that's like almost a guarantee he's going to finish better than him just due to the game script of the team. Uh, Saquon, yeah, I mean it's the same the same case we've seen last year. It, it makes sense, right? Just because he's Saquon, but the battle line doesn't help when the team's losing. He was still getting work. It just wasn't efficient. And I'm pretty sure he saw the highest um, – him and Derek Henry saw the highest stacked eight-man box rate in the NFL. It makes sense why he should. That's not going to change. Because the receivers, there is no true one. And so the study I did on the draft guide, um, basically it came down to people were trying to decide who the wide receiver one is. So I needed to figure out who it was because they're, like, arguing who the ADP value is and, let me preface that all the ADPs are low. So I'm not saying these are all bad picks, but you'll see why it's not really worth your time to even pick one, I guess is kind of the way I did it. So on the screen, uh, basically um, it is every single game that each Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton put up last year and then different metrics, targets, receptions, yards, touchdowns, snaps, fantasy points. So I took the head to head who scored the most points out of the three Um the whole season and then went all active. So what we saw when they were all active is it was two, two to two in terms of each of them had two weeks where they were the highest score out of those three. And then when they weren't all active, whatever, obviously it's easier when the players and playing out score them. It was Tate had five highest Shepard at six highest and Slayton had the two highest and Shepard also played, I think equal him and Tate both were out um, an equal amount of games. Tate was suspended. Shepard was injured. So that kind of shows that you can't decide who the one is, but I took it a step further. And there's a lot of numbers on the screen. Um, but basically, these are all the possible splits for each receiver with each other receiver, with each of the quarterbacks, since two quarterbacks played last year, and with Evan Ingram. 
I took the plus minus of each of those splits from their normal points per game in terms of the whole season. And then I took the average of each of those, meaning who have the, you in this case, you want a smaller range of, let's say that's 13 points per game. You would want your player to have 13 points a game relatively in every single split, meaning that you don't have to worry about who's throwing the ball, who's playing, et cetera, to know you're getting. And what you saw from that was that basically in terms of the point gap or volatility is that Tate and Shepard were the best, where Slayton was the worst, but they're still not great. They're not even close to zero. The six is the lowest. So basically what it means is I don't know who the wide receiver one is, but it's not like I confused who the wide receiver one is. There just is no wide receiver one. Shepard is the one exception that uh, the splits without Evan Ingram are fantastic. Easily wide receiver two numbers. So that is the one that is exploitable. So I will find myself taking Shepard sometimes, but to me, it's just kind of a wash. I don't expect fifth-round receiver Darius Slayton to overtake the two. I don't expect Golden Tate to be Julian Edelman and be the alpha, and I don't expect Shepard to play a full 16 games. So in the end, I'm probably just – I'm kind of fading the Giants in general, uh, maybe the exception of stacking Daniel Jones as my QB2. Before I get into this um... – Quick response here. I'm just curious, where would you guys rank? How would you rank just the three Giants receivers? Chris, we'll start with you. How would you rank the three Giants receivers, Darius Slayton, uh, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate in PPR right now? Yeah, I'd probably do it right in that order. So Shepard, Slayton, Golden Tate. Yeah. Shepard, Slayton, Golden Tate. Lucas, how about you? Um, It's tough. Because I, I – Obviously, I'm ranking for accuracy so I don't get wiped in the ECR competition. So, like, I'd want to go – I'd want to go Tate, Slayton, Shepard because I don't think Shepard's going to play a full 16. But then you have to think if Shepard's games he does play are good enough to outscore Slayton. So, I'd probably go – I'd probably go Tate, Shepard, Slayton, which I know is not the uh, the consensus. Slayton's probably consensus top forty receiver, where the other two are probably sixty to seventy. I bet not even. I mean, not six. Probably like fifty-five to sixty range. Pretty close, Lucas. I just pulled up the ADP. Darius Slayton is going first in the beginning of the tenth round at wide receiver forty-four. After that is Sterling Shepard in the middle of the eleventh round at wide receiver forty-nine, and then Golden Tate in the thirteenth round wide receiver 56. So they're all pretty clumped together within about mm, 12 of each other. I think on a fantasy team, I would want Darius Slayton. I know there's been a lot of hype for Darius Slayton. There's been a lot of fade for Darius Slayton. I think at that point in my draft, when I'm in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round, I'm not looking for, at that point, the way that I draft most likely, I'm not looking for flips. I've got floor guys, probably. I've got a Jarvis Landry. I've got a Julian Edelman. You know, I've got wide receivers that are going to get solid floors. I need this dude could potentially win me a week. And I don't see Golden Tate or Sterling Shepard ever winning me a week. Darius Slayton, we saw a couple times she down the stretch catch a few 40 yard bombs from Eli Manning, let alone Daniel Jones in year two here. Uh, so if that accuracy and rapport steps up again, I think it could be good news for Darius Slayton. So I, I would go Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate personally. Um, but uh, I just want to test you guys on that really quick. Um, Daniel Jones, again, I'm, I'm going to fade drafting him. There's other guys around him around that time that you could draft him. I don't need to do that. I'll take higher upside. Big Ben, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, even 
My boy Jimmy G has a great opening schedule. I might even take him. Tannehill probably. Uh, Rodgers is down there now. Um, I'll take all those guys over um, Daniel Jones to start the season five, six weeks in. And we'll start reevaluating there. Saquon, um, I've got him at number three behind Kamara, but he and Alvin Kamara are basically my 2A and 2B. So, of course, I love Saquon Barkley. Um, and then the receivers, I just went over and made my stance already on Evan Ingram. I'm probably going to pass ultimately, uh, but if he's my second tight end and he falls and falls and falls because people are worried about his consistency and injury, I'll take him as a second tight end all day long because, you know, if he, if he does stay healthy and pans out, I think it could be great. I do think – uh, because, you know, we're all in a, a, a best ball league. Um, I think Evan Ingram is a great best ball tight end because you're only worried about, you know, those games that he goes off kind of a thing. So I do like him in that format, but not so much in redraft. All right, boys, let's get into the Philadelphia Eagles. Before we do that, Chris, please just take a minute and let everybody know where we can find all the commission goodies, including your incredible playbook. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go check us out over uh, on our website, www.thecommissbrand.com. Uh, everything that we have there, our articles, our videos, uh, our merchandise, hats, shirts, you name it, we got it uh, over on our website. And then, of course, on the website itself, you can sign up for the playbook. It's our weekly newsletter. It drops every Tuesday morning. Uh, and we specifically did that so that way after the games are done, Monday football is over. And uh, you get all the fresh content coming in to set your week straight um, as, uh, you know, obviously as things continue uh, to progress for this, you know, for the week ahead. So um, we've already started it. We're in week four of, of the newsletter called The Playbook. So yeah, go, go subscribe. Name, email address, it's all we need. Excellent. And again, shouts out to your team, Josh, Eric, Alex, everybody over there on your side doing uh, a phenomenal job with not only the playbook, but the website, you guys have grown a lot in a quick amount of time and uh, just awesome to awesome to see it happen. So well done. Thanks. All right, guys, let's get into the Philadelphia Eagles somehow last year, win the division. Um, I've been very vocal that I don't hate Carson Wentz. I'm just, he's not my fantasy quarterback. Uh, But the reality is when he's on the field game to game basis, he has one, you know, he has spike games and he has a decent floor, but the reality is, He's been pretty much a QB 16. I went through every single game of his career so far at the beginning of the summer because I had some, I made a host on Instagram and some level was just like early fades before the summer starts. And Carson Wentz was one of them. And of course I had somebody come out and be like, dude, you're crazy. This dude's amazing. Like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I did some work. I looked at every single game he played and I took the fantasy finish of each of those. He finished basically as an average of QB 15 and a half. So 15 to 16 on a per game basis over his entire career. Now we do know that his MVP on his way to MVP season before he got broken in half, he was like the QB two, I think overall that season at the time. I mean, he did great, but there's a his rookie season and he's been hit or miss since. So tough uh, to gauge Carson Wentz there, but I think he's, you love him or you hate him kind of as your, your fantasy quarterback, Miles Sanders. This one's going to be interesting for you guys to talk about. I'm, I'm excited to hear both your takes here. A little bit of a hiccup in training camp. Boston Scott waiting in the wings. I have mentioned multiple times the last few weeks in the podcast, I rewatched all the playoff games from last year, and Boston Scott crushed in that game that they played the Seahawks. And Miles Sanders did well too, but Boston Scott is, is not just a backup. I'll put it that way. Then you have the receiving core. Jalen Rager comes in. But Alshon already pretty much on the pup. They have Ortega Whiteside, who we'll see if he actually comes to fruition this year. They get rid of Nelson Aguilar. DJX is fun, but 
you know, is he going to be healthy enough? And of course, you have your two monster tight ends and Gordon Ertz. So is Ertz going to be able to hold off Goddard, who finished as a top 10 tight end in his own right last year as a backup? So let's start from the top. Lucas, we'll kick it off with you. How are you feeling about the Philadelphia Eagles this year? Yeah, I'm growing on Wentz, you could say. Just because, like, my rankings have to reflect that I like him just because he is so consistent. Um, I'm growing on him for the aspect of I, I think Rager is going to be a beast. They finally kind of have weapons, but it's still kind of just like that lower end one QB. I guess I don't love the take, and we both kind of agree on that. I think that's kind of like a consensus sort of feel about Carson Wentz. But I think uh, he did put on some weight too, and he's kind of embracing the. You could sort of say like underdog mentality, I guess, because people don't think he's good because he tore his ACL when he was number one in the MVP voting and then Foles won the Super Bowl instead of him, I guess. Um, but I think he's definitely uh, not a bad pick whatsoever. The whole the whole Miles Sanders thing, and I think this goes with the zero RB conversation we've had, we had. It It's not that I don't – when we first had our rankings come out, I had Sanders at like 15. It's because they're going to sign someone because they were offering people. Obviously, now they have not signed someone. So I have to take into account that he's going to be the workhorse, right? Still no, because uh, Peterson does not use workhorses. Like it, it is a Super Bowl champion coach does not change his philosophies just because he took some second round running back. Like it just doesn't happen. Maybe he's an 80% workhorse. Okay, which I think is still fine for what Sanders is. But people were taking him as like the RB7, the RB6. And this goes to the point where like, you have to realize who is being drafted behind him, who else you could take, and who has a higher probability of finishing as that RB5, that RB6, that RB7, and it's not Miles Sanders. Because if it was, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? And I think that's a thing that I've started to realize is that there are certain players that we have these conversations about because they will physically never be able to finish there. And it just makes sense, right? Boston Scott, and I have, I'm working on my zero RB, like tiered uh, rankings, you could say, of the, the candidates to go target he he is like the ultimate tier one guy because his opportunity on this team, it does not matter if Sanders is getting 40 carries a game or if he's getting one carry a game. Scott got his touches in the playoffs, and they are very set in stone touches. It's basically when Tariq Cohen or James White, I think is the perfect example. Boston Scott is basically James White. He just kind of plays a different role. He doesn't really come out of the backfield. He actually plays receiver, whereas White comes out of the backfield with the same concept. Uh, the regular, we kind of touched on. I think he has the highest chances of finishing as the highest rookie in fantasy points. Um, I Yeah, that's about all I can say, I guess, because I don't really know how to value him in rankings and in draft capital because it's just kind of there. So I wouldn't really mess with that. The other receivers, I don't even know who's going to be on their depth chart by week three. We'll figure that one out. Um, DJ Axe will probably get hurt. Jeffrey's on pup. Three other deep burner rookie flyers. I will see, uh, but the tight ends is definitely the one that I think is Zach. Zach Ertz mainly. This, this guy is always undervalued. Going double the pick. So he's like, say Kittle's going in round two. Ertz is going in round four. I'm not saying that we should have Ertz higher than Kittle, but I'm saying he is just as valuable as these guys. So I love taking him if I miss on Kittle or Kelsey. Um, I have Andrews ranked one ahead of him as of now, but it, it's close for me. Um, I just think Ertz is being very, very undervalued because people I, – I guess I don't know. I don't know why he's being that undervalued. He's done it every single year. I don't think he's had a season ever in his career since he's been the tight end one under 130 targets. 
So I'm not going to project him now to have 130 or less targets. Um, so yeah, he's kind of like that uh, safety valve, you could say, for my draft strategy if I miss on the top two. So the wide receiver core right now for, let's see, the depth chart for the Eagles right now is Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, and Greg Ward as the top three. After that, Alshon Jeffrey, hypothetically, but again, injured right now. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and John Hightower. And then they have rookie Quez Watkins in the back as well. So they have a lot of, like, body and talent uh, there. But, again, I mean, Djax is obviously the number one while he's healthy, late-round flyer, but not really counting on him. Rager, I think, is going to be a beast long-term, but it's a rookie season with a weird offseason. And Greg Ward showed some nice – shines last year but can he you know actually become uh, a true one or two will yet to be seen so gonna be interesting there for philadelphia chris how are you feeling about the eagles so far are you on the wench train are you fading yeah so i feel like the eagles in general are closer to the new york giants than they are the dallas cowboys as far as fantasy value goes uh, as, all right, yeah, Wentz, Wentz is another sort of question mark for me. Although he's been consistent as a point getter, his consistency in terms of points themselves is kind of low, right? Um, he, he's average. Like, he's a good QB2. I think that's about – I wouldn't go out of my way to draft Wentz as my QB1 overall, and I don't see that. Like, I think we have enough data in to suggest that, like, he does – like, I don't think he's going to come back to that sort of, like, Q, QB2 overall form. Uh, in that sort of MVP season, I think he is who he is, and he's a good QB two, and that's pretty much what he's locked into. I think primarily, it could also, just, yeah, primarily just be that like the wide receiver scenario over there just isn't very good. Um, I did want to touch on the Miles Sanders scenario here, um, Lucas. I'm not as low on him, I think, as you are, for a number of reasons. Uh, so first off, just kind of uh, from an injury standpoint, it looks like he will be ready to go in week one, so the lower body body injury shouldn't be too much of a concern overall. But um, I get. Let me, Lucas. Let me ask you a question. The fact that they haven't signed in someone yet to take over that spot, that doesn't give you any optimism that they're going to look towards Miles Sanders to be a workhorse. Yeah, despite I, Scott being there. It, yeah, I mean, like I have him ranked as my RB ten because, like, I have to, right? Okay, like, yeah, it, right. It's just, it's like the process of me drafting him, and I know, like, we just talked about zero RB or whatever, but like, it's just it. I just know that I mean I know that Derrick Henry is gonna finish higher than him. I know right. that Alaire's gonna finish higher than him. I'd probably put an equal probability on Chubb finishing higher than him. I think Drake has way more upside. It's just mm. it's just a tough if he was like where I, I think he's valued at like the 204, 205. Mm. I think that's like where he should be drafted, but he's not maybe now he is because the injury, but he was going as like the 107. Like yeah. The 107 is like Dalvin Cook range. Like, like you're drafting, you're attempting to draft a layer Dalvin Cook with a running back on a team who's never had a workhorse ever. Like, it's just kind of like, um, I get it's just tough. I guess no, it's I like the word. Yeah. 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 No, so I, like, I got your, I got you. I got you, dude. Yeah. yeah. And, all right. I was just curious. So I think this. It, you're right. I think it's very, it's very. Uh, tr- I guess tricky is the right word here because. You don't know how things are going to evolve when what is about to happen goes against the norm for that particular team, right? So, like, the fact that they're even considering Miles Sanders as being the workhorse, yeah, that sounds good and all and if it works. like, But we don't know 100% if it works. So, mm-hmm. I'll make the case for Miles Sanders. Um, 
obviously the stats last year kind of leading up to the end of the season once Jordan Howard left, obviously, you know, scream that he can he can handle um, a more intense workload and the volume. I think the upside here is obviously the passing work, but I'll say this, right? So when you have these sort of question marks for players, Scott, we'll use your boy Le'Veon Bell here. When there's question marks, when there's question marks on a player's sort of outlook, I think it's pretty obvious, or at least one of the things you should look at is like what is being said by their coaches and or by like camp media, right? And so obviously at this point, like Le'Veon Bell, like man, like everyone's sort of feeling high on him until Adam Gase is uh, basically saying like he he's gonna you know start. Frank Gore is like the workhorse now. Like, you know, boy, like obviously that's not what he said, but he's pretty close yeah. to like saying it. It's like he wants to say that, right? So I'll just kind of, I was doing some research before we got on here and I'll just say this. So, so Deuce Staley, who's the running backs coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, former NFL player, also assistant head coach, had a couple of nice things to say about Miles Sanders. So if you guys don't mind, I'll just kind of read what he said here. He said, quote, you saw last year, you saw Miles Sanders get better and better and better in the passing game from protection to route running to catching the balls. So those were the three main things in being an elite third down back. Protection is number one. Route running is number two. And of course, we all know that catching the ball is number three. And I felt Miles just continued to climb the mountain, continued to get better in all three phases. And in the end, with Sanders is a clear running back one once he's healthy. So it just seems to me like I really do believe that they're putting all their eggs in the Miles Sanders basket. Boston Scott will be a nice handcuff, but I just feel like all everything to this point leads Miles Sanders as the workhorse running back one, I think they're doing it finally. So yeah, I, yeah. it's kind of what and, I feel. And I think like, if it happens, like I've said, like, okay, then I'll adjust, I guess it's just, I'm sure. not going to have any shares of him uh, for obvious reasons on how I approach fantasy, but I definitely see, uh, I definitely see where he could be though, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think you covered all the points on the, on the wide receivers. So I don't have to really touch on that since we have the Washington football team to get into. <laughs> All right. I will, I will say this, yeah, though. As, so, as, we, as we sort of get going here, um, Zach Ertz is looking likely that he's going to get a contract extension because it's obviously the year for contract extensions for tight ends. So it looks like he's going to have that extension. And um, not that it's a huge deal, but Dallas Goddard is obviously has that sort of hairline fracture in his thumb. Again, not a big problem long term for the season, but. You know, it looks like it looks like Zach Ertz's stability as the as the tight end one over there will still continue. It looks like. Sure. Uh, so um, I'm going to jump on this question. Okay. I'll jump on this question here really quick. Valley Chip. Uh, so, how many carries do I do you think Miles Sanders will average per game? Carries, twelve to fifteen. Touches, if we're lucky in fantasy, it'll be eighteen to twenty. Um, I I man. I don't know why this is a, this is one of those weird, there's always like one or two players every season. When I get into this point of fantasy, when I'm gearing up for drafts, I'm looking at the top. I'm, I'm like, Hey, this guy or this guy, second, third round, whatever. For some reason, man, I've got this knot in my stomach for miles Sanders. And I think like his little glitch in the system last week kind of gave me a little more pause of like, I'm just not going to draft. And, and he, this is one of those players where like, if I don't, I'm not going to draft. So if I don't draft him anywhere and he comes out and he shears Austin Eckler, then I have to, I'm going to eat that next season. And I'm fully prepared to do that. But I also was the guy that stood on my hill at Le'Veon Bell getting drafted at the end of the first round last year and refused to draft him and told people not to draft him. And that turned out. Now, do I think Miles Sanders is going to be a bust? 
Absolutely not. If he's healthy, there's going to be a beast. But I don't think he's going to be, unless he gets a full workload, I don't think he's going to be a top 10 running back. And that's basically where people are drafting him right now, uh, especially in PPR leagues. Boston Scott's legit. They run through the pass. They're going to run through the tight ends. I just don't see it happening. And I'm a little bit worried about Miles Sanders holding up with the preseason injury. So I'm going to fade him personally, but I don't hate him. So to answer the question, Valley Chip, I would say carries 12 to 15 overall touches, 18 to 20 if we're lucky. But I really don't think that's going to happen because Lucas mentioned it. That's just not Doug Peterson's game. So I, I do think it's going to be a distribution of workload there in Philadelphia. All right, boys, let's jump into the Washington football team and then we'll get out of here. Now, this one's tough. It is a fantasy program. So we are not going to spend time on raking this franchise over the coals for how much of a joke they actually are uh, as a business, as an organization, and more or less human beings at some level. I'm going to stay out of all that mess. Instead, I'm going to put some bright light on my boy Al Smith, wish him the best, somehow coming out of one of the most devastating injuries in sports history. He's already the comeback player of the year, in my opinion, whether he plays or not, frankly. And he's coming out there fighting for the job over to IMO as as, uh, Jameis Winston 2.0. So I think that Alex Smith could actually win the job if that's what he's trying to do. They have seven running backs still. Darius Geis is out of town, so we don't have to talk about that anymore. And then Terry McLaurin is an absolute savage, but is he going to actually be a topper with the quarterback play? That's going to be kind of hit or miss. And then who's behind him? Don't even know who the tight end is. There's not many options here in Washington. Chris, we'll start with you. Logan Thomas, great, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Entrell, I'll, I'll, I'm going to Wikipedia no, Marcus, Marcus him as, uh, as Chris goes in. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, great. I'm going to Google all these Marcus guys Ball. while Chris goes in here on the Washington team. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so all right, I'll say this. So off the rip, I think the fact that they got rid of guys. All right, I won't get into it too too much, but they're making the right decisions. Finally, yes, on a moral yes. and ethical level. So the fact that Ron Rivera cut Darius Geis immediately after what was said, and he said that the culture is going to change around here, that is a very good thing to hear as a football fan for that team and as a fantasy uh, fan for that team. Those things absolutely matter, and they did it by example. So awesome. That's great. So they get rid of Geis, which felt like addition by subtraction. Now you still – okay, they might have seven running backs, but they still have Peterson, Gibson, and Love, which, by the way – don't sleep on love as like a deep, deep draft running not back. Even, not even that deep though. Like it sounds like he's the two and they sat AP yeah. out. So many, like they just like made AP inactive when he wasn't hurt because they wanted guys to play last year. So I think it's, yeah. he, he's definitely going to be on the tier, the zero RB ranking list for sure. hundred percent. And, uh, and just for those of you who are like, who's this love guy, he actually finishes the Heisman trophy runner up to Baker Mayfield in 2017. So dude balled out in college. He was really good. He just happened to end up on the Washington football team. So it is what it is, but nevertheless with Ron Rivera comes Scott Turner, Scott Turner, son of Norv Turner, notorious for airing the ball out with passing. So this is the major thing that I think if we're going to look for a bright light on the Washington offense, the Jameis Winston 2.0 train continues as Dwayne Haskins now will have free reign under Scott Turner uh, to air the ball out. So just a couple of fun facts. When Turner was the play caller last season for the Carolina Panthers, because uh, he was ultimately the quarterback's coach, but then moved into the coordinator role for a couple of games, 
Um, they called at least 65% pass plays, which is right up there with the Atlanta Falcons. And so even in the blowout games, when Carolina just mauled on some teams late in the season, the passing volume was 71.1%. So all of that being said, it does look like Haskins is having quite the fantasy camp. I have been one of the people who have been very low on Dwayne Haskins, but the more better news you hear in this, in the seriousness in which he's taking the preparation this season tells me that these are good things to hear. Um, all of which is to say that I'm drafting 0% of Washington's team except for Terry McLaurin. But I am going to be I am going to be confident in drafting Terry McLaurin with all of with all of that news. <laughs> we, we had a question if the defense would be worth drafting. Um, if you get 25 points per sack and zero for touchdown allowed, yes, and it's what mm, I was very vocal that Chase Young was not a good pick at the at the, the terrible team build on this defense. I don't even know their corners are a bunch of washed up se- slot corners. Out their safeties, Landon Collins apparently forgot how to play football, but their front seven is amazing. So take that for what you will. Yeah, I I'm having trouble at this quarterback situation because Alex Smith is ready to go, right? And the problem I have, is he though, dude, is I, he though? I don't know. It I sounds don't think he like. Is. It sounds like he is. It sounds like a publicity stunt. I got to be honest. Sounds like a major publicity stunt. I feel that, but like, if he's ready to go, I I don't see how he doesn't play this year. Like, their their team is so bad. Their offensive line didn't even get better. It got worse, and a player that didn't even play last year left the team. Trent Williams. Why would you? Why would you risk it? For putting like, in Smith, oh yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I, Give him it doesn't make any sense why he would play, but he's back. He has to fulfill like the twenty million dollar contract or whatever. But not besides right. the point. Don't take. I have Haskins on a ton of Superflex Dynasty teams because he was going in like round twenty. But like, don't take any quarterback. Maybe stream him a matchup here and there. The running backs. It sounds like the the depth chart's going to be AP, Bryce Love. McKissick and Barber as of now, and then Gibson. I don't know if to put him on that list or the receiver list, but yeah, because he's a Gibson's threat. ADP is getting ridiculously high for a player that the man had 71 college touches, and now we're expecting him to be a fourth round pick and come put up all these touches in the NFL in year one with no training camp. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I just don't see it. Ultimately, it could work out. I just don't see it. Uh, the receivers, though, I have a hard time with Terry McLaurin in terms of where he goes at ADP and how to rank him. And I'm like, I'm not like super, I guess I'm not. Okay. So on the screen, if you're watching is his points per game production from last year. Uh, Obviously he started off really hot with Case Keenum. Case Keenum got benched for Dwayne Haskins. I think it was week. I want to say it was week five or six. I'm not for sure. He put up two torch games against Miami and Philadelphia, whose secondaries were just brutal last year. But besides that, you see that he was a wide receiver three plus on the week at 57%, which is just not obviously a guy that you want to take as your wide receiver two. Obviously, his rates aren't bad of hitting high, but I struggle to rank him higher than the guys that are right around him. I mean, like in ADP right now, all over the board, Stephon Diggs is going behind him. T.Y. and A.J. Green, Landry, Marquise Brown, Tyler Boyd, Michael Gallup, Julian Edelman, Will Fuller, Debo, Brandon Cooks, Marvin Jones. Or Not that I'm ranking all those guys ahead of him, but it just seems way too good to be true. And if, I, and if I were to tell you that I have him projected out right now at 104 targets, turning that into 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns, does that seem – that seems pretty reasonable, right? 
that has him at wide receiver like 27 in my projection. So it's just hard for me for to for him to outperform guys like Gallup, Landry, Edelman, really even Brandon Cooks, Marvin Jones. He would need like a hundred percentile performance on this team and overcome literally everything this team has negative to be a good fantasy asset. So I just struggle to like really draft him because it just seems way too good to be true. And I think that what we saw last year was great for three weeks. When he was with Haskins, it was terrible. The the O line, I mean, it's it stayed the same because Trent Williams didn't play any anything last year, but it's it's bad. The defense got worse, meaning they had more th- passing attempts. But it's not like he's going to get 15 targets a game. I would imagine he's going to get like seven to eight, which is right around what he got last year. So it's just kind of, I guess, tough for me um, to really buy in. I guess, and apparently Dontrell in- Inman's back. He's the wide receiver two on this team. Uh, Steven Stims in the slot. Gandy Golden playing here and there, and Gibson, I don't know what his role is going to be. And then, yeah, Logan Thomas apparently is the tight end for this team. Uh, he was a quarterback for Virginia Tech long ago, like four years ago. The man is <laughs> humongous, like he giant. So if, if he's one of these like Darren Fells guys that were playing just for touchdown upside, I wouldn't wouldn't put it past him. But if if this team has Trevor Lawrence on it by next year, I wouldn't be surprised. Boom. Logan Thomas, Jeremy Sprinkle, Richard Rogers, Gross. and Holly Henchins are the tight ends for the Washington football squad as of right now. He is Logan Thomas is six right, foot six, two fifty. That's pretty good size for quarterback, like in New England. Am I right? That's All right, folks, we got to get out of here. We have to turn it over to the next program coming up here on. LandryFootball.com. Make sure you tune in every Monday through Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time right here at twitch.tv slash Football to catch us, the commission. On Wednesdays, Dweez Nuts coming in on Mondays. Lucas and I are with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday each week. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you, man. Bring the brothers and the cousins back on. Let's have a family affair once again next week. We are bringing in the NFC uh, let's see, it's the South tomorrow. That's a great division, a fun division. We're going to be breaking down the Bucks, the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers. Appreciate you guys coming on, having a good time. Join us on the tckpod.com for the draft guide or for the listener league. And make sure to check out all of the Landry Football Networks right here at LandryFootball.com. We'll catch you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash Football. For Chris Benavides and the rest of the Kamish Fantasy Football Podcast crew, Lucas Kaser, I'm your host, Scott Guasco, and we are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.